Hello, and welcome again to the Collin College Academic Continuity Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Garcia. Thank you, as always, so much for joining me. In this week's episode, I'm joined by two members of Collins E-Learning Centers, the ELCs, Summer Helm and Francis Choi. Summer and Francis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. All right. Um, before we go ahead and get started into today's topic, which is a very important and very, very um, thorough topic, I wanted to give each of you the opportunity to kind of introduce yourselves. Tell us a bit about your role in the ELC as well as uh, your role with regards to accessibility. Uh, Summer, go ahead. We'll start with you. Okay. So hello, I'm Summer. I, uh, I'm the instructional technologist at the McKinney campus. What I, my normal role is I help make um, content and media for Canvas courses or for any kind of um, uh, course in general. It could be face-to-face as well. It doesn't have to be Canvas, but because of the pandemic right now, it's all pretty much online. Um, But also I'm a a web certified accessibility specialist from um, the, Francis, what was it? The Texas? Yeah, the Texas uh, Distant Learning Association or TXDLA. Yes, I should know that, <laughs> and that's what um, that's why I am here today. All right, thanks, Summer and Francis. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at the ELC. Yes, uh, I'm Francis Choi. You know, the, this is actually my 19th year working for Colin College as an instructional designer. I'm the first full-time employee of the e-learning center. I become involved basically you know, by role. Being an instructional designer, that we provide support to calling faculty uh, in designing uh, their courses, both online and on site. And over the years, as we involved, uh, we have seen a lot of changes, particularly with the advancement of uh, teaching technologies. So I become involved with uh, accessibility. You know, the, after taking a certification uh, two years ago by the TXLA, and then you know I was doing a presentation, a planned presentation uh, in the TXDLA conference, focusing on uh, accessibility, you know, the specifically relating to what the state of, you know, calling college back then. So with my uh, in-depth, you know, research and talking to various departments, this become a very interesting topic, you know, the, I would say that it has become my passion. Uh, so I've been, you know, the evolving in various areas, uh, working with different departments, both faculties and administrators. So, you know, this is, uh, I think it's very beneficial to both the faculty and the college and the students in particular. Absolutely, absolutely. And and just for our listeners, I've brought both Summer and um, Francis on, if you haven't guessed it yet already, to help me talk about accessibility, um, because the college has engaged in a couple of strategic moves recently to deploy some softwares that are going to address some accessibility needs. But um, the accessibility needs of not only our students, but our faculty and our staff really do go um, deeper than just a single software solution. And so I wanted to bring Summer and Francis on to really talk us through accessibility and give us some insight into what it is and why it's important. So um, I want to start the discussion just with a a very, very, like a 30,000 foot view. Let's talk accessibility and ADA compliance. What is it and and why is it important? Um, And and I'll let y'all just speak in turn as as y'all need to. Can I jump in first? Oh, sure. 
Sure, you know, the accessibility, you know, at uh, people, this name is not familiar, it's not unfamiliar and everybody knows about it. And then in the early days when we, you know, the look at the RAMs, you know, on our buildings, you know, that is usually what people first come to think about accessibility. But nowadays, in particular, in our environment, we are talking about digital accessibility in terms of how to access the course content or how to effectively use it. So with so many different uh, definitions or understanding, I think for our purpose, it's best to adhere to what the uh, the OCR or the, C, uh, the Office of Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of uh, Education, how it defines it. You know, because usually even in court, you know, the, they will be relying on this definition. So according to the OCR, accessibility is, you know, the, is defined as meaning when a person with disability is afforded the opportunity to acquire the same information, engage the same interaction and enjoy the same services as a person without a disability in an equally integrated and equally effective manner with substantially equivalent ease of use. So this is a short paragraph, but it includes a lot of very important, you know, the buzzwords, I would say, you know, because when you talk about equally integrated, equally effective, and substantially equivalent ease of use, this sets a bar or a boundary of what, you know, the guarantee the student with disability are provided with curriculum materials in the necessary formats and technology with the appropriate features in a timely uh, manner. So this pretty govern what we at the ELC or college, college have uh, or the faculty have to focus on when we are addressing the accessibility issue before being dragged into many different directions. Because you know, at the bottom line, at the end of the day, we will all come back to the, this definition. Right, right. And and summer to that effect, to kind of add to uh, Francis's definition from the the OCR, which is I, Francis, I really think you did a great job of, of putting. Um, a, a stamp to this to say this is why it's so critical. Um, are there any additional reasons why it's it's really important um, just beyond uh, the, the needs of the student um, who maybe has accessibility needs? What, what's your take on it, um, Summer? Um, well, I think the needs of the student is pretty paramount. Um, beyond, I think it's also just, just to be able to communicate. I, I equate it as since I have a film background, I equate it as going to a movie theater and either the screen's not on or the audio's not playing. Um, you have, if you're a faculty, you have a course, you have um, a subject matter that you're an expert at and you're specifically brought here to teach people that subject matter. And if you can't let your words, if you can't let your words out or show your images, then it's a disservice to you uh, as well as a disservice to the people you're trying to teach. Um, ADA compliance, I think um, something that we didn't really cover is it's since we are a federally funded higher education um, college, we're mm -hmm. required to be ADA compliant. That's a requirement. So it's not really, it's also, yes, it's important. And yes, it's important to know why it's important, but it's also required. Yeah, and y'all y'all bring up great points there because I have been reading a couple of articles uh, inside higher ed articles specifically that have spoken about institutions that have faced legal challenges um, because they were not compliant. And those articles have gone uh, in great detail into how those institutions uh, began to address those concerns um, 
you know, as a as a reactionary tactic um, to 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 the lawsuits that were brought on them. Um, and and so I know that you both have been heavily involved in making sure that where we can be, we are not reactionary, but we're more proactive in our approach to that. Um, there's one other point y'all brought up that I do want to touch on too. You know, Summer, you gave the example of, um, you know, a movie with no sound or no video. And, and then Francis, you brought up the idea that this is in, in the actual language written, um, for the students, um, who have the, the, the need specifically. But I think we can maybe, maybe even talk about how, even if you're not an individual who has a specific, need uh, from an accessibility standpoint, you could still benefit from some of the implementations that would bring a course and its relative content into compliance. Would you agree? Yes. As a matter of fact, yeah. uh, In addition to bringing the compliance, you know, so that the student with disability can, you know, equally share the material, we have found that our research has shown that, you know, some of these, uh, Actions being taken, you know, is in uh, aligned with uh, the new, you know, um, not not just the new, the idea of universal design, which means that whatever is good for a certain group, in this case, the uh, student with disability, will be good for the rest of the student. Take for example of this closed captioning. Yeah, theoretically, those are for people who have visual disability. Uh, or, or, or with audio disability so that they can see, you know, the what is going on and understand. But, you know, how many of us haven't used closed captioning when we watch, you know, the, uh, Netflix at home, okay? And then, you know, people, when they were traveling on maybe public transport, you know, uh, they do not want to, you know, the other people uh, to listen to the, the speaker or when, uh, uh, a parent, you know, after taking care of the kids in the evening, when they have to go to study, they can turn on closed captioning and still, you know, to watch the, you know, what's going on on the screen. So, you know, what is good, you know, the, for some is good for the rest of us. It's the basic, you know, the, you know, the bottom line of this universal design. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. I, I really, I really feel the parent <laughs> analogy there. <laughs> um, but it's not just that as well. My parents are um, uh, from a different country, and sometimes I know that. I mean, they're not considered to have a disability, but they do need closed captioning to be able to understand what people are saying because it's not the accent that they're, they're used to, or some of the terms are not pronounced the way that um, they're they recognize it. So that's also. It's also something to think of. There are a lot of students um, who don't come from where you come from, who don't come from where their classmates come from. Universal design, while it helps students with disabilities, it helps all students. Yes, I can just attest it to myself, both you know, the, as myself you know, the, being coming from um, another country or another place that uh, English is not, uh, is my second language. So to me, closed captioning actually helps me, you know, in understanding, you know, particular, you know, when I do not catch what people were talking about when they're talking too fast. And then interestingly for my children who are born and brought up here in the U.S., to me that, you know, they have no problem understanding or listening. But, you know, I'm surprised to see oftentimes when they are watching uh, TV or movies, they turn the closed captioning on. So this is nothing to do with whether, you know, the, it is only for people who cannot listen. 
it, it actually helps. I think there are plenty of research, you know, showing that a large uh, number of people, I think YouTube has a research saying that 80% of the people turn the closed captioning on. And then also, you know, the, I think there were some the research, you know, the brought up by BBC or and then there's some other uni uh, uh, universities here in the US that a lot of students actually use closed captioning, you know, when they were studying. So this is just one one aspect of you know the universal design for learning, making use of you know the, all these technologies that we have now. Yeah, and I I love that you both brought up closed captioning, um, because I know that that a byproduct of that as well, in addition to actually being able to watch the video with the volume off, which I actually did earlier today for some training because I was knee deep in something else and I needed to be able to follow along, but I was listening to something else on the side. I was jumping on phone calls, so closed captioning actually allowed me to kind of still read what was being said. But one of the byproducts of that as well is a transcript. And so if you're like me, sometimes I'm in the mood to watch whatever the video is and actually move through, but sometimes I want to actually just consume the information off of the page, and that transcript makes it possible where instead of having to watch a video, if there's a complimentary transcript as an article, I can just consume it at my own pace and, and be comfortable with that as well, and I love that. Um, yeah, benefit aside, you know, the, it is actually law, you know, now that, you know, if you provide or if you provide uh, course content, you know, which, you know, is video or multimedia, we do need <clears throat> to have either uh, closed captioning if it is, you know, video or if it is audio, we need to have a transcript. Right. And, and we're going to get into that in just a, a little bit, too, about some of the challenges that can face faculty or content creators, um, you know, because I know that, that, that the knee-jerk reaction is, well, I just spent X amount of time building this video, and now you're telling me I'm going to have to go back if I didn't write up a transcript and write up a transcript and create those closed captions. And so we are, I do want to definitely explore with you in just a bit some of the challenges and maybe either the, the software or the training that we're offering um, to, to kind of facilitate those challenges and, and address them. Uh, one other thing I do want to quickly note, though, that I've read, and, and maybe y'all have both encountered this as well, is in some of the articles that I've, I've um, explored, especially inside higher ed, with the institutions that have been cited and have had to create these action plans to bring their courses and their institution within compliance, um, one of the, the additional benefits that they've actually seen is they've started to become kind of labeled as an accessibility friendly school and that's actually boosted and bolstered a lot of their enrollments um now i'm i'm more kind of green when it comes to this but in, in some of the conferences y'all have attended and some of the trainings y'all have done is that a commonality that that has been observed with institutions that have have taken a more proactive or even maybe just, just a more a robust, robust reactive, reactive approach, approach to accessibility, to accessibility? I, I think it is. I mean, if you if you're looking at um, uh, disability as a whole in the United States, there's about 60 million um, people in the United States that have some form of um, disability. And it's not always something that you can see. It could be cognitive, whatever, anything. Um, and and just just a, a, having a spot that's open um, to being to evolving along with that, that shows that they are uh, open to to any kind of student, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a, a, a student with a disability. It, it shows that they are more forward thinking and maybe this is somebody I need to um, be with. That maybe this is some place where I need to learn. 
Yeah, let's just go back to the basic definition of accessibility. You know, if uh, a class or the course content is accessible, you know, we have already known, you know, the, by just the definition, this class will be a, a, a much better quality for all students. So with that, you know, the pretty much it points to the fact that, you know, faculty or uh, college who are offering uh, accessible courses would probably have a better you know the result so i think this in itself become both you know the benefit as well as you may call it a marketing tool you know by identifying that your course are accessible i think that's one of the reason or the byproduct of us or the college going to adopt quality matters you know the, as our uh, a standard for our online courses, but because quality matter does, you know, specify uh, standards in accessibility. Now, before you know, you, I may uh, just want to come back to some of the uh, the, the numbers that I have, uh, uh, you know, the found you know, when I was doing my research. I think a lot of faculty, as I said earlier, we all know that accessibility is important. But one of the uh, phenomena I, I I experienced in the past is that many faculty do not know exactly how much it impacts on them or the college you know whether they are you know they're paying attention to accessibility i've done some numbers you know just based on the fall 2019 in college college we have out of about the 14 you know 100 uh, full-time associate faculty that we have 73 percent of them or more than 1000 of them actually have ada students uh, in their class, I use ADA just as a general, you know, reference for student with disabilities. And about of the about, you know, 4,700 active classes that we offer at Colin, 52% have ADA students. What does it translate to? You know, if it, by the national average of 11% of high ed students have disability, that means we have more than 6,000 ADA students in our college without us knowing it or paying attention to it. So well, you know, this, this this will be very important, you know, to, to us. Well, and and you bring up uh, another interesting point that I'd like to to explore briefly here before we jump into some of the the additional things to help hopefully the listeners who might be all of a sudden saying, "Oh my goodness, those numbers, <laughs> they're they're kind of scaring me. How do I start? How do I get started?" Listeners, I promise we're gonna we're gonna enable you to take that deep breath and tell you everything's gonna be okay, and we're gonna give you a roadmap. But uh, but but those numbers, Francis and, and Summer, if I'm not mistaken. That's just the students who have actively gone to identify themselves as having an accessibility need. But we could actually even have a larger group of students who haven't recognized or just have chosen because they're not legally required to have not chosen to identify themselves as having a need. So, you know, it's not like you can just sit in the class and look and see and say, okay, this person has um, somebody who's assisting them in some way. So clearly they have an accessibility need. They might be in your class and you don't even realize that they have an accessibility need. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. Uh, the 6,000 or 6,600 uh, ADA students, the potential students that we have is just based on the national the average. As a matter of fact, when we look into our own situation in Collin College, and when I work with uh, the access office, we only have about 1,000 students per semester that they're working on, which is pretty much uh, underrepresenting the actual student that we may have. That just point to another, you know, challenge that we have because one thing about uh, accessibility in high ed is that unlike K twelve, when students have to identify, uh, in the in higher education, students do not need to identify themselves as being having disability, which makes it very 
challenging for the faculty because I have some faculty coming to me and say, hey, Francis, I don't even know I have a student with disability. So how, how do I deal with the situation? Right. So again, as you said, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, um, programs or initiatives in place uh, right now that we would help faculty to address those issues. Right, I, right. I, I think it's important. I mean, you might hear this a lot from us today because uh, we <laughs> do talk about this a lot, but um, it's important to think of this uh, and think of your courses as being um, proactive instead of reactive because disabilities also, they can, they don't, they aren't something that happened before you register for a course. They can be something that happened in the middle of a semester. Somebody can get into a car wreck and suddenly they have to use um, a keyboard to be able to access their, their, their course instead of being able to move their mouse. So uh, something that we're gonna press a lot um, and, and that will hopefully waylay a lot of fears is if you can go ahead and build this into your base course, um, a lot of the solutions are already there for you so that if you do find out you have um, an ADA student in your course, you've already solved most of the problems that you might be facing. Yes, I think uh, back in January, you know, the, Sam and I did a, uh, a presentation to the associate deans. You know, the, the topic is actually, you know, the changing culture, you know, in uh, Colin College. Yeah, as uh, Summer says, you know, the, not only Colin, but a lot of uh, higher institutions in the past have been reactive, you know, because, you know, the, just, you know, the going accessibility really you know is a very time consuming resource consuming thing so people usually would put it you know the you know the like a back burner if i may call it until something happens so but when you wait until something happens it is usually in the most unopportune time and creating a lot of anxiety and frustration that's why we start to hopefully we would change the culture you know at calling so that we become uh, more proactive creating courses with udl uh, in mind and have all these uh, um, resources available to faculty so that they create the courses whether they have students with disability or not because once you create yeah it sounds a little bit you know the, um, taking a little bit more effort in the beginning but once you have it done it has so much benefit that people would you know cannot imagine people they do it yeah yeah and i i like the both of the points that you make summer the the point that you made that that really stuck with me was the fact that you know Right now, at least, I, I can hear moderately well. Um, at least most of my ear exams have come back good. Um, you know, and, and I can see moderately well. I use contacts and, and glasses, but that's not always a guarantee. I mean, whether it's a car accident or just one day my hearing starts to fail me or my eyesight starts to fail me, there may come a time where I do have more of an accessibility need than I do right now. And I can't necessarily guarantee or predict when that's going to happen. So, you know, I know if my world suddenly changed tomorrow, I would be very appreciative of, of um, individuals and institutions that had taken the effort to make me feel like, hey, you know, this is an impactful thing that's happened to you, but you're going to be able to continue with us all the same. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Mark, I think exactly. we are walking the same path. I barely did ahead of you, you know, because I think soon you find that you will need a uh, progressive, you know, reading glass, you know, and then you eventually <laughs> I may not be listening to, you know, the, to all the ma music that I used to be able to, or at least a lot of young people, you know, having a, a headset with rock music, you eventually find that they have an onset of hear, uh, uh, loss of hearing as they age. So this is just natural. And with the fact that we have more and more returning students, they are not, you know, young kids have, you know, the, the best of their of their senses all the time, you know. So great and then of course there is the un, un you know unfortunate situation when people become you know involved in accident or illness that suddenly they lost, you know, their the ability, you know, at least temporarily. So yep. So, you know, with uh, a course properly designed you know, uh, with accessibility in mind, it will help students in those situations. Yeah, and, and before we transition here to, to the actual discussion of the tools, the programs, and everything that we at the college have in place currently to facilitate, um, I guess, adaption um, of, of course content to accessibility needs, I, I want to impress upon our listeners that this is not just an issue that's facing higher education. And I'm sure that the both of you would echo me on this. Um, you know, there have been large corporations who have faced accessibility lawsuits because of their websites not being accessible to their end users. And then beyond that as well, um, one of my colleagues was pointing out to me that, that there have been several articles penned, white papers penned as well, that in the tech space, um, accessibility is one of the hot marketing tools. I, I don't want to say it like that because it sounds insensitive, but that's essentially the direction a lot of the major tech companies are taking and the approach they're taking is to be more appealing to users as a whole. They are using accessibility as kind of that entry point. Um, and so Apple and Microsoft and Facebook and Google have ramped up a lot of their efforts as well um, to make their products much more accessible, which is great. Um, but it also means that there's going to be become a baseline expectation um, beyond just the legal needs um, that, that's going to make users start to look at platforms across the entire gamut and say, are these accessible? Yes or no. And that might um, then make those users kind of formulate in their mind an opinion on the entity that chooses to or not to adopt those accessibility pieces. Yeah, Mark, you make a very in, uh, interesting, you know, the point and observation. As a matter of fact, you know, when I go to conferences on uh, accessibility, I can actually feel that there's a whole cottage industry, you know, being developed right now to address this issue, just because that's so easy to sue nowadays, and it's so easy to find in you know, fault in, in the website, say for example. So, yeah, the good thing is, uh, as you said, you know, a lot of these uh, major tech companies like Microsoft, you know, uh, you know, Adobe, they are creating you know, or actually better their accessibility tools, which is good and also present a challenge because they change it all the time. And then, you know, for people who want to use it, uh, they really need to learn all these different, you know, the accessibility checkers and also remedial action. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a constant changing, you know, the landscape. Absolutely. And Summer, Summer, have you kind of started to see, too, a larger shift, like Francis is saying, as you've gone to conferences or you've engaged in some of the publications and things like that? Yes, it's, it's, it's definitely become a hot topic. Um, there's a quote, the power of web is in its universality. And if everybody's supposed to be able to um, use the web, then everybody needs to be able to access it. I, I mean, it's... It, 
it's it's a hot thing right now, but it I don't want anybody to think it's a scary thing. It's the same thing as going to the grocery store and seeing um, the disabled parking or seeing the doors that auto open. It's gonna it's a change that needed to happen and it's happening and it's only gonna make it better. It's not it there there will be tools and there are tools now that we even have at Colin College that'll make it something that's almost like an auto door. You, it's not. It's not a hard thing. You just have to know that it's there. I think one of the challenge, you know, in the early days is that a lot of faculty or a lot of uh, the, the population in general did not know very much about accessibility. Even we vaguely know what accessibility is about, but then, you know, we were, you know, get uh, a lot of anxiety by this lawsuit regulations and things that, and then, you know, the faculty didn't know what to do to be compliant. I think the good news is, first of all, things have become more, you know, the clearer nowadays with all this uh, new uh, uh, interpretation or law, which uh, this, uh, has uh, accessibility better defined, particularly in when it comes to higher education, and there are all sorts of resources available. And then also, you know, the, the calling college, uh, uh, and the ELC, you know, are paying attention to facilitating, you know, the uh, so the faculty can, you know, the, learn how to use the different tools to make the course um, the course material uh, more accessible. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's a great transition point because what I wanted to start talking about um, was some of the online resources um, and then also some of the in-person resources and essentially the the initiative as a whole, um, what the ELC is doing to kind of assist. I want to talk a little bit about our OAB, um, our online advisory board's review process and its role in compliance. Um, you know, I want to talk about uh, some of the software solutions that we've started implementing, but I want to start before we get there um, by, by, by asking a very, very simple question um, that, that I'm hopeful y'all will, will be able to answer. So let's say that I am a faculty member and I've got um, and I've got a course that uh, I've built in Canvas and I've, I've kind of tried to adhere as best I can to um, the online advisory board's um, review process so that my course is built on the, the best practices of instructional design. Um, and I, I send it through for an ADA compliance review and it comes back and let's say that my course only shows up as being 40 or 50 percent in compliance. So at this point in time, I'm probably freaking out and thinking, oh, my gosh, it's out of compliance. What am I going to do? I'm going to cause the college to be you know, sued or anything like that. Um, you know, and, and so in my mind, I'm probably now trying to think, OK, in the next four weeks, I've got to bring this this course to 100% compliance, is that a reasonable goal <laughs> to set in, in that window of time? Um, how would you talk me down and, 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 and at least allow me to put things in perspective? Okay, you know, Mark, maybe I, you know, with my experience working with faculty in course design for, um, for a long time, maybe I can try to address or try to calm you down. <laughs> First of all, I will always tell people that you know, accessibility is a continuum. It always changes and involves. There will never be a situation that you're 100% compliant. Because as soon as you think that you have uh, made all these necessary changes, there will be new definition of law about you know, what is new accessibility, and then their new the technology would enable things to do better. So first of all, remember, it is a continuum. So you will never... You, you, this is target, okay? It's a journey. 
okay? And that, that journey not necessarily to, to be a lonely journey because there's so many people doing it nowadays. And then you do not want to or hope to do it, you know, in the short term because it's almost impossible. Because gotcha. some of this takes much longer than the other. Because why I tell faculty, first of all, identify what are the typical complaints that people have. And then also see, you know, I would say, try to pick the lowest uh, lying foot first. Because there are some simple and easy things that you can do. And then there's some more complicated and time-consuming thing. As long as you start your first step and work towards that direction, then you know that you are already in a much better position as you progress. And I just don't do not think that you need to be to, to do all your work in just maybe even one semester because it takes a much longer time. And then and then along the way the ELC is here to help. Awesome. That, that that's a great point. And and to the points that you make there, um, Francis, before we jump in to start talking about the OEB and everything, I'm I'm curious to know, Summer, uh, from your perspective too. Uh, Francis brings up these low hanging fruits, and and since you're both experts on um, compliance, I'm I'm assuming that you probably have similar messaging for faculty. So I'm I'm just a little curious too. While we're talking about that, Summer, um, what are some of those low hanging fruits that you will typically tell faculty to maybe start with um, to, to to do that for their courses? I'm a little bit, <laughs> I think I'm a little bit more straightforward in attacking this than Francis is. He's a designer, of course, and I'm a technologist, so that's probably in in uh, course with our nature. Um, but I, Canvas, if you've created the course directly in Canvas, if you check the Canvas accessibility um, checker, it mm -hmm. will tell you exactly where those parts are that are not accessible. And it will also, most of the time, be a one button click to fix it. And if it's not, it'll show you how to fix it. And if it doesn't show you how to fix it, then you can call the ELC and I'll show you how to fix it. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty straight, when it comes to the, the percentage and numbers and everything, um, the Canvas accessibility checkers and Microsoft um, Office 365 accessibility checkers for all their little apps like Microsoft Word or Excel, any kind of uh, attachments that you can have in your course. Um, they also have checkers. They also have tools whenever you're creating your document or whenever you're creating your um, assignment and your module. They have tools that if you use those tools, it'll automatically be accessible as is defined right now. Um, so if you were suddenly given a four week deadline, um, then I would say, let's start one by one. It's easy. You might not make it 100% accessible, but our goal has always been to be more accessible and not 100% because there's way, no way to know what 100% is. And just being more is better than, than being some mythical unicorn creature of 100. Right. Right. And, and just real quick for clarification, uh, because I, I don't want our, our listeners to, to um, jump into Canvas and suddenly start looking for it. Um, what, what is typically the icon that they can usually guarantee will always be associated with uh, accessibility when it comes to like Canvas? Um, what does that checker iconography actually look like? Yeah, let me do a little bit uh, marketing, if I may. <laughs> <laughs> I have 
uh, spent the last couple of months, you know, creating a, a an online workshop, which originally was on site and online, but because the uh, the pandemic, you know, the crisis, I have converted it to a hundred percent online course. Uh, the title is actually the course title is actually create accessible course in Canvas. Okay, so you know, faculty who are interested, this is going to be de deployed uh, soon. It was delayed a little bit because the very same day I completed the course, I found that you know the, the college has upgraded the uh, the rich content index, uh, the rich content editor, editor you yep. know, in, in Canvas. So immediately, you know, essentially making all the demo video I make obsolete, so I have to redo them again. So, but going back to the, this low line fruit. Uh, most likely, you know, the, when people get complained about uh, non-compliance, it's there. There are three areas that uh, are most uh, being cited. First of all, there is no uh, alt text. That means there is no alternative text explaining what an image is about. So, if I am a uh, a student with uh, visual disability, when I am using a screen reader, when it read across the the the, the content, suddenly it's stuck there without knowing what that object. It's okay. It's about so. There's a major thing, and it involves when you're creating a, a a page in Canvas, or particularly when you're doing PowerPoint. Okay. Another area that people uh, will often come across is um, first is the alt alt text. The other one is uh, headers. For example, you know we all you know. Uh, most of us are visual, and then when we are trained, uh, or most of the time, when we are creating our uh, document, we use say word, you know, uh, or sometimes we use a, a table for format so that it looks very, you know, neat as if it is in a magazine. But when it comes to assistive technology, which reads across the line, sometimes you know, if you are doing like uh, creating your contents like that, it will be impossible to read. So those are the two main areas. Uh, that people have to pay attention to. And then, of course, when it comes to multimedia, which is uh, summer's specialty, we have to uh, pay attention to closed captioning and and uh, transcript, that kind of situation. That, that, these are what I call the lowest uh, low lying fruits because they are very easy to identify and correct. Yeah, and and if I may add one one additional one on there, and then I do want to come back to the the accessibility tool so that we can let our users know how to how to access it. One of the other ones, as a as a web designer and developer that I've come across more recently too, is it was very common in the late '90s and early 2000s if you had a link that was tied to a website or a resource um, in the text for that hyperlink, uh, most people would just write the word here. So in a sentence, you know, it would say you can find this resource here and here in that sentence would be the actual hyperlink. And that's actually against um, the, the accessibility compliance because if an individual has a you know, visibility issues, they're going to most likely be using a screen reader and that screen reader needs to give them context for what they're about to click on. Um, and so I know that another low hanging fruit can be if you're going to add hyperlinks to any kind of resource in your courses, it needs to be where the hyperlink itself is a description of what resource the user is about to click on and navigate to so that they understand, oh, I'm, I'm going to open up this file or I'm going to open up a guide or this resource um, as opposed to just the word here. Um, 
yeah and and uh in also relating to that there's a i think a habit of people underlying you know the some text for uh for emphasis mm -hmm. and then you know in the web environment when people see underlining they think that it's a uh, it's a link so they yep. start yeah those they start clicking on it yep so yep. in the uh the workshop that, that i just mentioned i mentioned the six of these common you know the area that people can go to easily identify and change say for example when you are using you know the your heading style uh, do not use uh, tables uh, for formatting and how people create the images with uh, all text and how to create link as you just mentioned about and then about other things will be say color using color for emphasis or color contrast using list and table all this will be and of course multimedia which is very you know important components nowadays so i strongly encourage people eventually when this uh, workshop become available go to you know to, um, to attend it okay excellent um, summer if, go if, ahead if i may the open the accessibility checker in canvas mm -hmm. um it's it's a little man whenever you go and make an assignment or go and make a page or go and make anything whenever that um, rich content editor opens up uh it's a little man in a circle it's my i call i like to call him the vitruvian man after the da vinci <laughs> yes um, <laughs> um yes. that's if you press on that it'll tell you whether or not your document or whatever it is that you're looking at whether or not it um is uh, ADA compliant, and that's what that's what. If you're looking for that accessibility checker, that's what you're looking for. Yes, Thank because you yeah, in in the older days when people talking about disability, of course they would have an icon with people in a well uh, a wheelchair. Okay, this is disability. But now when we talk about accessibility, as uh, 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 someone just said, this is almost like a Da Vinci, you know, man, you know, the, on the universe that that icon, and that is one one reason I have to redo all my uh, my canvas demos because. In the old canvas, uh, rich text editor, that little icon is on the top in the right hand corner, but in the new one is on the bottom right hand corner. So once you click on that, it will actually do some uh, accessibility checking. If your page is accessible, it will come up with a balloon. If not, then it will show you what kind of um, issue it have and actually gives you you know suggestion as how to correct now that being said you know the the canvas accessibility checker is good but it's not 100 uh uh foolproof that's why you know depending on how you create your native or original document you it is better to use the tool the accessibility tool to check it say for example if you are using a word document to create word uh, a, a word file or if you uh, using PowerPoint to create your your slide, use the native accessibility checker within it. And depending on what version that you have, it may be in different locations. Say, for example, if you have Office, you know, 2016, the way to check it is in the option issue button. But the, if you are using the Office uh, 365, it's right there. So the high tech this high tech company are making it much easier nowadays for people to check. Great, great points. So I want to I want to kind of um, circle back real quick, and then I do want to really jump into the OAB process and compliance here, so we can talk more um, at length to that. But just 
listeners, I know there's been a huge information dump here between the three of us. And this is, of course, what happens when you have a lot of people who are very excited to talk about a topic come together. We just start geeking out about everything related to it um, because we realize how cool and and how much easier it's gotten. Um, So just general takeaways that I want to provide our listeners right now to to kind of break this down. First and foremost, if you're chomping at the the bit, really, if you're you're wanting to get going with um, bringing your Canvas courses into a, a better state of compliance today than they were yesterday, I think the three of us are all in agreement. The first place to start is with the accessibility checker in Canvas. And as was pointed out, it's not going to bring your course into perfect compliance, but it is going to identify some of the more common mistakes there that you can use. Um, and then to Francis's point here, um, that there have been major advancements in a lot of the tools that you probably use on a day-to-day basis, whether it's a Microsoft product, a Google product, um, an Apple product, uh, Canvas, or anything like that, where they're going to have baked-in accessibility um, tools. Um, there are extensive documents online that will help you kind of navigate through it, and I'm sure a general search on the web for accessibility and whatever tool it is you're trying to use will yield a large number of results um, that, that will kind of walk you through your specific products. And to Francis's point, if you're working in a specific product, use its accessibility tools first to guarantee that you're getting uh, the accessibility checking experience that was built for that that specific product. Um, as you go through, it becomes kind of like a game of telephone, I think, as you go through um, from one product to the next. For example, if I create a Word document and then I dump it in Canvas, Canvas may not be built um, to, to check the accessibility of my Word document out of the box. And as a result, I might lose some of the critical components that I would have gotten in checking that, that document for accessibility had I used Word's native accessibility checker. Um, so, so the big things there are, you know, if you're looking to just go and become more compliant today than you were yesterday, Go ahead and and use that accessibility checker in Canvas or identify the one that's in the tool you're using. And then I think once you've gotten a little more comfortable with that, then um, start looking at the resources that the ELC is going to provide so you can start attending some of these workshops to to then bring them even more into compliance. Um, So... Let's move on now. I'd like to talk a little bit more about our online advisory board review process and compliance. Um, and I want to have you both steer this conversation and kind of speak to where we are with our OAB review process and how we've kind of started working on it to include um, accessibility compliance if we have. Um, so I'll turn it over to the both of you all to kind of talk us through this. And as we talk through, um, maybe we can talk a little bit more to some of the processes and collaborations that have come about about with um, the the kind of uh, advancements we've made in this process. And then I'd also love to hear a bit about some of the challenges and successes um, that you've both encountered in the realm of accessibility as we've kind of moved to some of these more um, advanced means of reviewing courses. Uh, okay, in my mis- uh, I may start. Uh, uh, since I've been involved in OEP or its uh, predecessor, you know, the, in the past, you know, the many years. So accessibility has always, you know, has a place in the OAB review in accessing, uh, in assessing or reviewing online course. If we trace back uh, to our history in the early days, uh, even before the OAB become, you know, the its current, you know, the uh, uh, body, you know, the we already use uh, 
the quality matters, you know, the back in, I think, 2004 and 2006, it, when even quality matter itself was in its infancy. So back then, we always, you know, the, already put attention to accessibility. Say, for example, when I mentioned earlier, when, you know, you should not underline, you know, the text which is not, you know, the um, a link. Okay. And and with the um, with the development over the years, you know, we, we always put, uh, emphasis, uh, attention to it, but not as extensive as what we are going to right now, you know, because uh, in recent years, as we all understand, you know, accessibility is getting more and more attention. And also with the advance of technology, uh, some of the issue that we did not have in the past certainly become an issue now need to be addressed, which is also always a challenge and also an opportunity. So the current OAB uh, process, we are for many years, you know, we have our own individual OAB checklist, you know, which is very similar, but not exactly the same as the quality matters. But since the college is going back to uh, to use quality matters as our standard, so we revisit the current OAB requirement, which actually have a very specific requirement or standard for accessibility, which is actually in their standard review uh, number eight, which is about user usability and accessibility. Probably by now, you know, with this past uh, hour of discussion, we all understand how come. Uh, complex this issue can be. So to require or expect our faculty to immediately, you know, to comply, uh, you know, create a course in compliance can be a very daunting task. Realizing the fact the current OAB uh, situation, uh, particularly with the pandemic situation that we have to put a lot of traditionally on-site on, on class into online environment, which will make it almost, almost impossible to adhere uh, uh, to the state of accessibility that we want. So in a new process that, that we have, it kind of like created a custom uh, revealed you know, the, instead of the OAB, you know, the rubric, we have a custom rubric. In the OAB, you know, we have a standard number eight, which is all devoted with six items about accessibility. Now in the custom uh, uh, rubric that we have, particularly for this uh, pandemic situation for our summer one and summer, uh, uh, summer three courses, we are focusing on just several area. Say we have only five standards right now in our, uh, our, our the custom rubric. In the section number two, we mentioned about you know the having accessibility statement in our course, and then also in the standard number five, we have two areas devoting to accessibility. One is particular uh, concerning about um, multimedia closed captioning. Okay, so this we kind of like scale it down, you know, the in the current situation, but in the long run, we are still, you know, the, having our target towards the, um, uh, the 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 quality matter full fledged you know, the accessibility requirement. Now that being said, it still presents some challenge to people, partly because, as I mentioned, a lot of uh, faculty do not have very uh, uh, in-depth knowledge about accessibility, about the uh, the statement, and how to you know the, uh, to to work on the course content. So with that, we have uh, the ELC is you know again always uh, available uh, to help. And in addition to that, we have created a a template we we call you know the the framework. So we actually, the ELC have created a, a framework of a uh, of an online course with 
about 10 essential criteria already fulfilled. Say, for example, when I mentioned uh, 2.7, which is talking about privacy uh, or, 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 or uh, institutional uh, statements, we actually, in this uh, uh, framework course, we actually have the concourse syllabus created, already have all this uh, statement and policy included. So a faculty who can actually download a copy of this framework and then just use it without worrying about how to meet that requirement. And of course, when we come to uh, section 5.7 and uh, 5.6, they if they do have multimedia uh, and they do not know how to do it, then, you know, the, um, ask someone to help or the yeah. university for help. So, so this is, and I'm going to, I'm going to defer to, to both of you to, to also comment on this, but this is, this is what I'm gathering from, um, from that brief point that you gave there, Francis, is that, again, to kind of facilitate this transition, and we recognize for, for, for many faculty, this is going to be another transition. Um, it sounds like we have been empowered to a degree by the technologies that we've chosen to integrate and implement um, here at Collin to, to at least, whereas previously it may have been a departmental initiative where the department has to send out a Word document and every faculty member has to remember at the beginning of a semester to copy and paste the new verbiage into their syllabus. Now what it sounds like is because of Concourse and it being an online platform that allows us to set some baseline templates, because of Canvas as a learning management system and it being a cloud-based solution that allows us to kind of implement certain aspects, we we can set baseline parameters that will automatically handle a particular portion of compliance for the faculty so that it's one less thing they have to worry about with regards to all of this. Um, is, is this kind of a, a larger initiative that the ELC has kind of spearheaded as well, um, Summer and Francis? Uh, yeah, yes. well, I, that's correct. Mm -hmm. That's right. correct. You know, the, um, this brings back to the point that, you know, even when the Canvas in itself claimed to be, uh, you know, the inaccessibility compliant, it doesn't guarantee everything that you as a faculty create will be in compliant. For the, by the same token, when we uh, when we adopted concourse syllabus, one of the reasons I, I, I remember that, you know, we wait until the last minute is that we have to make sure concourse syllabus itself is in compliance. Now, that being said, the, the Congress syllabus as a tool itself is in compliance, but it doesn't guarantee the information the faculty put into it is in compliance. Just say, for example, if you still underlying you know, your, your text as a, a link, say, for example, it will not be in compliance. So it all works together. Or if you're using uh, purple text over pink background. Ah, yes. <laughs> right. So, so, Exactly. So th this is a really important point is that, you know, the software itself out of the box can be listed as being compliant. But then if a user creates something with it, um, that that might not necessarily fall within compliance. So to, speaking to that point, since we've kind of covered um, the OAB and, and its role with compliance, that checklist, all of that, I'm kind of curious to know, too, um, since you both have been working extensively with this, um, and I would consider you to be experts compared to myself, I'm still learning much about this. Um, what, what would you consider to be some of the biggest challenges that maybe you've encountered um, through your journey with, with compliance, whether it's your own personal knowledge or just maybe implementation as you've assisted faculty and staff with it? What, what have been some of your greatest challenges and what have been some of your greatest successes? If I may, the, the greatest challenge that I see 
that I saw from the beginning and I see now and I also see it in myself is just the fear, the fear of the unknown, um, the fear of I've already done all this work. What what if it's all wrong? The fear of I, I don't know how to change my dental course to be accessible to somebody who can't see. You know, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of up in the airs with this. And I think the biggest challenge for most of the people that I see, and this is myself included, is that there's no direct roadmap on how to fix every single thing. Um, but uh, for me personally, and I, I know Francis as well, we we like to just pound in the idea that this is not something that will ever 100% be um, compliant. We will never 100% be compliant. And if we just take it one step at a time and work together as a team, not just with the ELC, but if it is the dental department, work with your whole department and experiment and have fun with it and work with your students and have fun with your students. It doesn't have to be the fear of the unknown. It could be an adventure into the unknown. Um, that's the biggest challenge that I see. Yeah, I totally agree with Summer. You know, fear is the major factor, but then, you know, fear actually, you know, the, comes from uncertainty or, you know, not knowledgeable. So with what, you know, the, um, we have been looking into this aspect about, you know, the uncertainty of the, of the law, the legal aspect and how it impacts it comes to fear because in the past there was isn't enough information to explain or, or it may be just too complicated you know for people to understand so without understanding the what it exactly is then you know comes the the fear particularly when you're talking about you know the all these lawsuit and legal cases the second uh, unknown is how much effort is being involved or how much skill set because a lot of faculty being experts in their own discipline have very little knowledge knowledge particular the technology technology skill set required you know that in order to make their content accessible and that already have we touched on it just now it's actually it's not that complicated it's just time and effort so if you if a faculty can you know the, accept the fact that first of all there never will be a totally perfect you know the accessibility cost i think it's hard to because being faculty i understand a lot of people strive for 100 percent so when they when you're telling them they're 95 percent you know the, they're not happy so there's i think is the instinct of being you know a teacher so we have to overcome that uh that uh that kind of uh, psyche in order to be you know uh, have a, a more open mind and then also be more relaxed in addressing this too. Say, for example, you know, one biology teacher come to me worrying about all her car, all her PowerPoint are all out of, uh, out of order, you know, the, having all this issue being, you know, the flagged by the checker. But as long as soon as you understand how to fix it, which is actually just a few clicks, then, you know, the, she can do it immediately. And the other faculty having issue with her, uh, her document, which is 80 pages long, of course, you will see how to to re, to to remove the active page, page long you know word document. But once you understand, oh, it's not nothing more than identifying which heading or he, uh, or which header as you know the as a header instead of putting it in a visual uh, traditional style. She did it in one evening. So these are these are some very you know uh, encouraging you know the experience that you know a life experience that I, I have when I'm working with faculty.
Yeah, and and I think um, another really critical part to all of this too is is outside of the scope of just accessibility in general. I know that the ELC has been wonderful about hosting workshops on just some of the general best practices for course design, um, and I know that some of those best practices will tie in uh, very well to making it easier to bringing aspects of your course back into compliance. For example, um, you know one of the, one of the I think issues that a lot of faculty encounter is they have an hour and a half lecture and they want to give that to their students as an hour and a half lecture in video format. The problem being that, you know, it's very challenging for students to sit for an hour and a half to watch a video lecture. Um, And so I know that one of the best practices that the ELC recommends is to actually take that hour lecture and break it up into chunks so that the student can then approach each chunk based on topic or category or whatever else it might be. And I think from an accessibility perspective, if you're going to then say, okay, I've got to go back and create closed caption files for this lecture, you're probably going to feel a whole lot more motivated if you can do it in bite-sized chunks and say, I've got 30 minutes or an hour. I can do this 10-minute lecture here that's a portion of a larger lecture as opposed to saying, oh, man, I've got to jump into an hour and a half long lecture I did and start writing out this you know, this, this um, file and then if I have to stop, I'm going to have to go back and figure out where I was in the lecture to start back again and keep going. Um. Very interesting that uh, that you, you you talk about that, Mark, because uh, at the beginning of this uh, academic continuity, you know, I have faculty coming to me and say, hey, Francis, I have recorded a three hour you know, long the Zoom session. How am I going to put it into, you know, the, to my course? You know, yeah. You know, a lot of, of faculty is getting used to talking or teaching, you know, the continuously in particularly in the on-site, you know, the environment have uh, not appreciate the importance of, you know, when when the, this content are being put uh, online. We always, or a lot of people do not realize that among the disability that we talk about, a major part of disability now, there is actually not your physical disability, but cognitive disability, that people do not have the attendance span, you know, that they have. So if you are going to give them an hour long, you know, the um, lecture, frankly, even for myself, you know, in five, 10 minutes, I would start to lose sight or, or lose focus. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I mean, to y'all's point, back to, to, to your point on that, Francis, and then Summer's point on the, the movie analogy previously, you know, there are certain aspects of, of pretty much anything you interact with online anyway that could be considered to a degree an accessibility mean. Like if I click on a video on YouTube and there was not um, a designation of how much time that video was going to take me to complete – um, I might bounce off of that video and choose not to engage with it. If I can't tell if it's a five-minute video, a two-minute video, or a 30-minute video, um, that's going to impact me. And I know that there have been a lot of services online like Medium um, and a couple of other online blogging sites and, um, and and things like that that now will actually give you the amount of time you can expect for it to take you to read through um, a document um, just so that you can kind of get a better gauge on how much time you can commit to that. Um, and so just outside even of the scope of general accessibility, I think that there are features and aspects to all online content and media that that are, are so interwoven um, in our day-to-day lives that we don't even think about the fact that it is actually addressing um, an aspect of accessibility. And like you said, the, the cognitive nature where somebody is, um, you know, is, is needing to balance things based on their ability to maintain attention and their attention span. 
Correct. Yeah. So, uh, Summer, anything else to add to this as well? Well, I just I, li- I really liked your example um, on the uh, on attention span in particular. I can't sit through a 10 second ad on my YouTube videos. I have to skip it. If I'm looking up a recipe, I skip the whole background the <laughs> story and I just go straight to the recipe. And um, you also with universal learning, not just accessibility, but with universal learning, it is important to realize that some students learn differently and they uh, I might benefit from the background um, story about how somebody discovered bread in Croatia, but I want to learn how to make the bread, you know, and some some students are are better at learning how to make the bread than why the bread was created. So, I mean, that's that's a whole other discussion right there. Yeah, I, I've joked oftentimes about how I'd like to start one of those recipe blogs where I'm uh, role-playing as, like, someone from the Lord of the Rings, and it's just my my epic, you know, travels leading up to baking this recipe um, <laughs> because of, of how it's written. I'm sorry, Francis, I think you also had something you wanted to talk about. <laughs> well, you know, I totally agree with both of you, you know, to- uh, for all the videos uh, um, uh, I create or help create, it, I always tell people to 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 also you know state how long this video will be, so that people have some idea. You know, do you have enough time to go through all this, or do I have enough patience to go through all that video? Now, I also want to mention you know the, that about you know the the fear and anxiety created in the you know the uh, that uh, faculty you know would encounter there are ways uh, and resources to help them reduce this uh, anxiety one thing i want to want to bring attention is for faculty who adopt you know publishers uh, material okay there is uh, you know the, what we call the vpad the voluntary uh, product accessibility template that uh, a lot of publishers are starting to um, to provide a VPAP pretty much is a document almost like when you go to buy a used car. You know, they have a warranty, you know, a list of what uh, this car has or has not. So by the same token, a VPAP actually tells uh, the user how, you know, compatible uh, a product, whether it's a, a software or, or, or equipment. So, you know, with this, I emphasize that, you know, you do not just go to a publisher and then keep on using that book, you know, just check if they have a VPAD available. If they do, then that already saves you a lot of time trying to verify whether all the PowerPoint are in compliance or not. I just still work with a faculty uh, who was uh, working on a template uh, this week, worrying whether her PowerPoint uh, was accessible. So when I pull up the PowerPoint and I do a uh, accessibility check and they, they, they're all you know, the in compliance, because if I'm a publisher, I could verify immediately. Oh, so, that's, so, that's great to know. Yeah, so um, particular faculty or uh, discipline lead when they are deciding to do a, to choose a, a textbook or software, it is a very important tool. Awesome, awesome. Summer, I, I think you had something to contribute as well. Yeah, if I may, um, there was, uh, you had mentioned something about successes. I don't remember what it was you had mentioned, but um, I kind of wanted to, to bring one up on my own. Um, I, I I love it the I love whenever people look outside the box and create their own um, successes and, and these this is a unique challenge and that you are being told you need to be ADA compliant but there's nothing that tells you how to do it besides basic steps and 
it it gives you a lot of if you don't look at it as something that's fearful it gives you a lot of freedom to do almost whatever you want and i've where i've seen um an instructor who had to do a test on the components of mitochondria and um she had a visually impaired student in her course and she had no idea how to work with that she went to the access office and they they had some suggestions but she wanted to give her student uh, the opportunity to learn what everybody else was learning with the same amount of force behind it. Um, so she went to one of my favorite uh, collaborators is the ma Makerspace. And there's a Makerspace on, on one of each of the three main campuses. And they 3D printed um, pieces individually of the mitochondria that could fit into one whole mitochondria. And that student was able to feel that part of the test and answer the questions that way instead of being forced to listen to a screen that would kind of answer the questions for her instead. Um, so I think a, an important part of talking about the challenges is that these challenges don't have um, a formula to how to fix them, how to be successful with them, you are free to do whatever you want, whatever um, your imagination will give you. And I've seen some very great imaginative things um, come out of this. Yes, when we take out the fear factor and the stress of time from a faculty's perspective, you know, doing a lot of this accessible, you know, the course content is actually very satisfying, you know, from, from what my understanding, you know, working uh, experience working with the faculty. I also bring bring up another the area besides the you know the the, the VPAD I mentioned earlier. Don't you know? Don't forget that you know we have a very well staffed and professional access office which work both with the student and the faculty. They have uh, many uh, specialists. You know, besides interpreter, they have uh, alternative uh, 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 format specialist that can actually help faculty to create or make their uh, the coursework you know the more accessible to to students and then they would also you know the work with the student to uh, and the faculty to create or give suggestion to alternative uh, format in testing uh, and also to including how to handle situation in uh, the classroom all these are actually, you know, the dynamic situation that evolve when the faculty is dealing not only with preparing the course content, but actually in the process of offering or teaching it. So, ah. so, so, so this is a very important uh, resources that many faculty may not be aware of. And I love the fact that you both brought up these these actual stories of faculty who have encountered these issues have gone to the access office or have gone to the makerspace because at the heart of all of this at the heart of the accessibility piece when you get beyond the scope of just the the federal or state level requirements the the, the fact that you are being told legally as you know a public institution we're required to do this and because we're funded and all of that uh, and you get past the fear at the heart of all of this is you're getting back to the fact that as educators, we have it baked in our DNA to serve the students in the best way possible. Because I, I think that the vast majority of faculty would agree with me that when you're teaching, what you're constantly trying to do is if you recognize there's a concept that your students are not getting, whether they have accessibility needs or not, 
as an educator, what I always attempted to do was try and find a new way to expose my students to that topic that would make it stick for them. Um, and I have, I have stories from, from my time in college, too, where I was learning about enzymes that had mutations that wouldn't function in a certain way. And, and one of the simple things that my lab instructor did was they, they brought three people up to the front of the room, and, and the goal was, okay, your hand is the enzyme. You've got to grab a test tube um, with that. And one person, they taped um, four of their fingers, their index finger to their pinky together, and then another person, they taped their thumb down to their hand so they couldn't use their thumb. And the final person was the wild-type enzyme, and they had use of all five of their digits. And that example stuck with me because it took a very complex topic, but it put it in a way that I could understand and I could access it. And, and back to your point, Summer, that's exactly what happened in the 3D Maker space. And to your point, Francis, that, that's what's happening in the access office is faculty are doing exactly what faculty do, and that is find finding a way to make it so that their students can comprehend a complex topic and, and put it into terms that they can either feel or see or hear. And if they can't, if they, if they have an accessibility need, overcoming that and still putting it in a form that at least makes it to where their students can experience it to a similar degree to the rest of their students. And I, I just love that. Yeah, I think Mark, you have a very excellent example and very well said. Particularly when you talk about, you know, the, you know, the, the DNA, you know, the, of faculty. Yeah, if we put aside uh, this challenge, which actually nothing more than fear and uncertainty, and if we go back to our DNA or the passion being a teacher for teaching, and then when you find that this is a new way to enable your student to, or more student to understand and better understand. You know, I think it will be, you know, the the main, you know, purpose of teaching, and then you'll find it very, you know, the satisfying. Awesome, awesome, so awesome. Uh, Summer, anything else to add? Um, no, I think I mean there, I have. There's been a lot of successes that I've seen. I haven't. I think that one stuck with me because even though I don't have a visual impairment, I would have enjoyed taking a test that way more than just um, a piece of paper and. I'm kind of jealous that she do that. <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. Biology is very much a three-dimensional science. I mean, all sciences are for the most part, with the exception of math when it's in two dimensions. But uh, <laughs> it, it is a three-dimensional kind of concept or concepts that you're learning, and so that really is is awesome. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition us here. I, I know I promised listeners last week that I was going to talk a bit more about uh, one of the software products that we've implemented for accessibility called Accessibi, but we're, we're running a little short on time. So we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back to uh, show me what you're working with because we do have a couple of software solutions that faculty have the option of using that I think are going to address some of these accessibility needs. So we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, my two guests will join me again to uh, talk about what we're working with. All right, we are back after the break, and it's time once again for a segment of the podcast I like to call Show Me What You're Working With. And this is the segment, of course, where my guests tell me what apps, tools, or services they're working with. Um, they also can reveal some beneficial um, options that faculty or staff have here at Colin to help better themselves uh, from a professional perspective, or in this case, from an accessible perspective. So, Summer, why don't you go ahead and tell me a little bit about what you're working with right now? 
Okay, so we did, I have a list and every, and I'm looking at the list and it's just growing in my mind because I'm so excited about this and you, <laughs> you've got me amped up, but I'm going to stick to the list I have, sadly. Um, and part of my list is Canvas Studio and Canvas Accessibility Checker. We've, we've already talked in, um, about the Canvas Accessibility Checker, but we just got a new um, application in Canvas called Canvas Studio. And I am, again, I'm an instructional technologist, so I, I get super excited about anything with video or audio. And Canvas Studio is a way to um, host and manage your videos in Canvas instead of having to go out on YouTube or on stream and, and have to share and blah, 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 all that. And we're just now getting into the, um, testing phase of it because it's just been made available. We'll be uh, having workshops on it pretty soon, maybe in the next week or two. Um, but I love it, and um, not just for video, but for accessibility because Canvas Studio, um, just like some of the other uh, hosting sites like Stream, the Canvas Studio offers closed captioning. And I love that it's inside Canvas. You don't ever have to leave Canvas. I love it because the students can access it. Um, I just, and you can, you, it's not just um, posting a video and making them watch it. They can interact with it as well. They can comment on it. They can um, upvote some of the other students' comments. Um, they can ask questions in certain sections. You can connect it, um, or you can, you can use it on your own, or you connect it with the new quizzes and um, make a video part of a quiz where you put questions in certain parts of the video just to make sure the students are paying attention. We all know what that's about. Um, <laughs> that's that's one of my newest um, toys that I'm playing with right now. Um, I'm making a series of, um, of videos on stream uh, specifically about accessibility and accessibility checkers and how to um, how to make sure your documents and your canvas are accessible and another tool i've been using is narrator on it's on, just on my dell laptop so it's a microsoft um product it for apple i think it's called voiceover um if you just search it on your computer it is um it's the talking speech to text so if you if you have a document up and you turn on narrator it will let you hear what uh a student with a, a visual impairment hears. So if you want to know what your document, quote unquote, looks like to them, use narrator, use voiceover for Apple. It, it, I've been using it because I've been making videos and it's amazing. I mean, it's I've never I never knew that world existed and it's a whole world for me and I just get excited over different things. Um, now, the last two things for me are combined in a way because they're made by the same organization. Um, there, if you go online and go to webaim, W-E-B-A-I-M.org, there's um, webaim is like a web accessibility in mind. That's what it stands for. I use it a lot because I do graphics. I do, I create paid web pages and all that kind of stuff. Um, webaim itself has resources. My, my, favorite resource here is contrast checker, which we talked about um, purple font over a uh, pink uh, background. That's that's something that um, that Francis and I, when we make our accessibility workshops, we're going to go to go over because that is uh, ADA compliant issue, making sure your color contrast is um, is compliant. So that way. I think 
I think summer y'all 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 need to get um t-shirts that are uh, maybe purple background with pink font on them or, or vice versa um, and wear those to the conferences. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old girl. She has a whole closet full of t-shirts just like that. <laughs> and then, and then pinned on the, on the t-shirt, can you see me now? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry, so, Summer, I digressed. <laughs> no, you're fine. So WebAIM I like because it gives me a contrast checker. Um, then they WebAIM also has this thing called WAVE. It's wave.webaim.org. This is a web accessibility tool. This is not something that, I mean, you can, you can totally use it for your own sites. And I do use it for own, my own sites and I fail pretty much every time. But um, I, I like to lo look at other sites with it. It's, it's kind of like something that you can download on Chrome and have it as, um, as a Chrome extension. If you turn it on, you can see what Amazon site looks like, um, whether or not it's ADA compliant. You can see if um, Google sites are ADA compliant. You can see if other, it's, it's kind of cool because it makes me feel a little less intimidated. Um, I have maybe 20% issues on the sites that I make the first time I roll out and I'll go and look at somebody's site that I look at every day, like Etsy or something. They have like 40 something issues. This is all in my head. I'm not trying to bash Etsy. I haven't even tried it, but that's as an, as an example. You can um, see what the other websites are having uh, issues with in terms of accessibility. And for me, it it makes it more um, human instead of some giant monster that we have to defeat at the end of the game. It's just something that everybody is dealing with and not everybody's succeeding and it makes it okay for me that I have the same kind of issues that Amazon has or I have the same kind of issues that Facebook has or whatever. Um, the, I nerded out a little bit there that you I mean you can totally use it for your own sites. You could totally use it for that. And that's probably what you should use it for, but <laughs> I like to <laughs> I like to make myself feel a little better by looking at other people's sites too. <laughs> and there you go. I, I I've done that so many times I can't even count. So that's <laughs> a great, great recommendation, Summer. Uh Francis, how about you? what are you working with? Uh first of all, you know, I would say that I also have uh the wave extension, you know, on my Chrome, I use it all the time. The first time users actually look at the Collins website, <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> and uh, I also have other <laughs> extensions added, added uh, on it. You know, I want to, uh, as far as what I've been working on in accessibility, as I mentioned, I've been focusing a lot on creating this online, you know, the workshop, which you know, to involve a lot of the topics and the skill set and the mindset that we talk about and I use a lot of um, the tools that uh, summer went uh, mentioned you know because a lot of uh, when it comes to you know accessibility uh, web aim is a very important uh, site and location you know the, that we visit uh, a lot and a lot of these tools about you know contrast you know the ratio and all this you know pretty much a lot of this actually included in the, the in the workshop now let's comes back to um, other areas that I that I uh, I work with, um, I look at the different accessibility checkers, you know, the, uh, for different uh, 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 publishers or software manufacturers, uh, Microsoft, uh, Adobe, 
And then uh, when we mentioned, or you mentioned about when faculty come up with an, an audit, you know, with a certain percentage of accessibility, unlike the, the way which look at the website, there is a product I think a lot of people uh, may, uh, use nowadays or uh, uh, some of our neighboring, you know, the, uh, college district are using is a product called uh, Airlight, uh, A-L-L-Y uh, is the name they use. Uh, it is from the Blackboard. Uh, pretty much is a, is a site accessibility checker. It looks at the different uh, aspect of uh, your course. They actually have a, a Canvas version that I've been experimenting, you know, for more than a year now. Actually, working with some of our faculties, you know, the, to both have the faculty themselves as well as to access the uh, to assess the uh, the efficiency uh, of this uh, product which you know, it is a very, very impressive one. Though, as I said, they are not 100% uh, foolproof, but this is uh, among the better ones that I've seen compared even to the accessibility checker uh, within Canvas. So I, I'm very hopeful that you know, the, in future, we can look into it, into this, as uh, it is being used again by our neighboring you know, the community uh, or, or colleges and a lot of uh, institutions. Uh, Hardware-wise, you know, I'm just these past couple of days, I've been the testing, you know, the a tablet, you know, a stylus tablet. Uh, we all, you know, the, most of us, you know, have come across the Apple tablet and the Apple pen, which enables you to write and record on the screen. I'm also the, looking at uh, another protocol, XP pen, right now, which is also a, a tablet, which when hooked up to your uh, your computer can enable you to draw and write. So this would enable, particularly in certain uh, uh, disciplines like biology, when you have a lot of diagram for anno uh, annotation, or when the professor, math professor, trying to to expand an equation. It is very difficult if you just try to use a mouse, you know, even to to put a signature, you know, on your document. Let alone, you know, the, trying to derive a, a formula. So these are the area that I'm looking into. You know, I'm looking into a lot of assistive, uh, assistive technology, both in hardware and software. Coming to uh, to software, you know, the I have uh, I use you know the uh, read speaker. You know, which is actually a text to 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 audio. You know the uh, software. I also use uh, Dragon Natural speak uh, speaking. You know, the, in actually in more in depth creation of material. And on my uh, browser right now, I actually have a free software called Natural Reader. Again, as I said, you know, you do not need to be disabled, you know, or having disability to use some of this. As I mentioned, coming, you know, the, uh, English being my second language, sometimes it makes it easier for me to focus, you know, when, you know, the, I can highlight, you know, the line by line, the text, and also, you know, even the Microsoft have uh, have product nowadays. So these are areas which, you know, would increase the efficiency and productivity, both for the faculty and the students. Awesome. Awesome. Well, 
Thank you both for um, those suggestions because I think that there are a lot of tools that hopefully our listeners can see now are, are available to, to utilize. And if, if they aren't available at this point in time, I, I definitely know that we have them on our radar and, and we're exploring um, what options we might have to, to implement them at a later point in time. So thank you both for that. Um, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's show. I want to thank my special guests again, Francis Choi and Summer Helm. Thank you both so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank, thank you, you for, for having inviting us. us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to all of our listeners, thank you as always for tuning in. I'd just like to remind you, if you have any questions about some of the softwares or topics that we discussed in today's episode, you can feel free to email us in the Department of Strategic Initiatives at develop at colin.edu, and we can either answer those questions in a later episode or maybe even make a whole episode around it. And then um, just... To again remind you, my guests today were from the ELC, which is the eCall and Learning Centers that we have on our campuses. They're there to offer support to faculty and staff um, with any of the, de- the different technologies that we're implementing for uh, students. So if you have a question about Canvas, you have a question about accessibility, please feel free to reach out to the ELC and they will definitely get you the help that you need developing your course or your course's content. This has been the Academic Continuity Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Garcia. And as always, thanks for listening. 